welcome to the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly thankful for everyone who's coming on the live thus far and hope that we're able to give you guys something that will edify your soul and get you throughout your Thursday morning. Uh, we got a jam-packed show for you on this morning. We're going to be talking about the 2023 elections and uh, for the most part how the Democrats cleaned house um, on um, on this past uh, Tuesday. Uh, we're going to be talking about how to truly forgive someone um, during our sanctification session. The question from the chat, we'll be talking about how um, a person can commit sins that they didn't commit before um, before they got saved. Um, so, you know, just like trading one set of sins for another sins. I'm thinking this how the question is going. And, um, and we're going to be talking about how Scar, um, Scarlett Johansson is um, advocating for school lunches um, to be free in certain areas. Um, and we're gonna, um, and so we're gonna talk about that as well. But we are going to continue our journey through the book Gods at War. Let me put the camera around really quickly um, to show you guys once again that we are talking about the book Gods at War by Kyle Eidelman. We have entered the Temple of Power, and we'll be looking at the God of Money on today. Um, and so definitely grateful for this opportunity to be able to uh, celebrate Jesus with you guys on this morning and to give you something that will, again, edify um, your souls. And for the ones who are not, um, may we, you know, say something to you that may have you to grow curious about the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, as always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to drop down in the comment box below and let us know what you're thinking and how you're feeling about anything that's um, that's on your mind. We just ask that you keep it classy so that way we can keep on, we can we can stay on the air. If you uh, come out of pocket, we're going to have to give you that nice little mute button, but we mute you in love. Um, so again, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. We're going to start with a word of prayer. And then we're going to jump into the God of money on today. Heavenly Father, we come before you saying thank you for this blessed day in your presence. We're thankful, God, that you think it not robbery to give us this opportunity to be able to worship you in spirit and truth. We ask, Lord God, that this show be none of me and all of you. Uh, we just dedicate this show to you right now. Uh, we thank your son, Jesus Christ, for his sacrifice on the cross when he died and rose again and credited his righteousness to us that upon repentance and belief, we will be called the children of God. Uh, we're asking, Lord God, that every word that is said on today be a testament of the goodness of who you are. Uh, Lord God, just be in every every segment of the show. Uh, and Lord God, just continue to elevate us um, in, in your presence as we humble ourselves before you. Lord God, we're just grateful that you give us a space to be able to learn more about you, um, to grow in you and to delight in you. And ask that the love that we have for you just reflect through the things that we say on today. Lord God, we love you. We bless you. We honor you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So again, uh, we are in the book Gods at War by Kyle Ottoman. Um, we have been traveling through understanding that there are a lot of different things in the world today that are warring for our souls. Um, these same old gods have been warring for our souls since the dawn of time, but they've just been given different names, different characteristics, different attributes, but they're basically the same things that's always been there. And for the believers, we're doing a heart check just to see what is it that has the potential to turn our faces away from God, to turn our attention, to turn our affections, to turn our allegiance away from him. And so as we've said throughout this um Throughout this book, 
you know, as a believer in God, you once you are saved, you are in the kingdom. And so this isn't an indictment to say that, oh, you're worshiping this. Oh, you're not going to be in the kingdom no more. No, rather, it's a heart check to see what has the potential to take your eyes off God. What has the potential to take your attention away from him? What has the potential to take you away from doing the things that God would have you to do? And so, again, this is a heart check. We um we got out of we we walked in and got out of the temple of um of pleasure, and now we're in the temple of power. Yesterday we talked about the God of success and how we have to be careful that we're not defining success um by certain things that we end up chasing because if that thing doesn't become it doesn't come to pass we may think of ourselves less than what God has said to us that we are in him and so our so our, the god of success says um the god of success says that you have to achieve these things in order to be you know a per in order to be known in order to have position title you know notoriety but god says I've already named you. I've already formed you. I already know you. And the success that you have is only through Christ Jesus and his finished work. And so through that, we can better navigate having titles and having position and having, um, you know, prestige so much to where we are humbling ourselves before God and saying thank you for everything that he's done and keeping in mind that we do work hard, but we work hard through the power of Christ in that he gives us the ability to do the things that we do. And whether we are successful or not in this world, we know that in our souls, we are successful because of what Christ has accomplished for us. So today we want to look specifically at the God of money. We want to look at the God of money today and, um, and ask the question, you know, how are we utilizing money as a means of trying to, um, of, of trying to feel like we have arrived or that we've made it in this world. And so, and so here it is. We're going to jump straight to the end of the chapter because that's where I want us to part today. Um, and before I even do that, as a backdrop, Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse number 19. Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. In First Timothy chapter six, Paul says these words to the um to the um preacher Timothy, um starting at verse number six. First Timothy six and six. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these um lost my place just like that. 
Hold on. With these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge, plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Further, um, furthermore, Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse number 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Alright, so, in the book, Gods at War, Kyle Ottoman, we find these words here. He says, the reason money so often ends up being God's chief competition is we try to ascribe divine attributes to it. We look to money to do for us the very thing God wants to do for us. The man in Jesus' story does this as, does this as well. First, he looks to money as his source of security. He tells himself that he has plenty of good things laid up for many years. We think if we could just save enough or accumulate enough, we would have no more worries. Maybe you're afraid that the economy will collapse or your health will fail or there'll be an attack or you'll lose your job. And maybe you think if you could just save enough money, all of your worries would go away. When we look to money as a security, it becomes our God because that's where we are putting our hope and our dependence. Prayer becomes nice but not necessary because we have enough money to meet our own needs. Maybe we should consider praying the prayer of Proverbs 30 verses 8 through 9 which says, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? The gods of power work from one shared premise. We can take care of ourselves. We can handle all our needs. The Lord is nice, but he's not really necessary. We don't need to pray for our daily bread because we've got a pantry full of it. The gods of success appeal to our self-sufficiency. So what he's saying is that when we make money a god through him through money being a source of being the source of security, we feel as though we can go to God and ask him for things, sure, but we're not depending on him because we are so secure in our own possessions, so secure in our finances. And so we pray to God, sure, but our heart's posture is that I got this. I can take care of myself. I've got plenty of I've got plenty in the bank or if I put enough in the bank, I'll be fine. I'll be I'll be I'll be good. I won't need anybody. I won't need anything. And God is saying, if if you say that you love me, 
then I'm saying to you that you can lean on me to be your source of security. Because when money fails, and it does on more than one occasion, you're going to need the Lord to sustain you in the times where your finances are scarce. And so, but then, but then even when things are going good and you got fat money in the bank, at the same time, we still need the Lord in our lives. We need him to humble us when we're on the mountain. We need him to sustain us when we're in the valley. And so we need God to be our source of security, to be the rock that which we are anchoring ourselves rather than money because money can be fleeting. So you have a lot one day and then the next the economy falls apart and now you, you're, you're what you had, what you thought you had, you ain't got. So we have to be wise to lean into Christ and allow Christ to be the sole source of our security and our hope in our eternal peace. Second, the man in Jesus' story looks to money as his source of satisfaction. He thinks to himself, if I just accumulate a little bit more, I can take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Even before his good crop, this man was wealthy. But he thinks that if he had just a little bit more, that he would be satisfied. But you have to wonder if things continue to go his way, would his new barns be big enough? Or would his happiness depend on getting even bigger barns? Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 says, If you love money, you will never be satisfied. If you long to be rich, you will never get what you want. The more money you have, the more you spend, right up to the limits of your income. Most of uh, most most all of us have this appetite for money or possessions, and we think that if we could satisfy this appetite, it would go away. If we could just make the money or buy the car, but that's not how it works. Instead, the more you feed it, the hungrier it gets. Often is the case where we make money. To spend it. We make money so that we can buy the thing that we think will satisfy the longings of the soul. We make money to then go get the thing that we're truly looking for in order to in order to make us feel like we've arrived or that we've made it or that we you know we, we can live the good life or we can live the easy life. We don't have to worry about how much money we got to spend in order to get this or to get that or to go here or to go there. And so we jockey for position and we jockey for roles and we jockey for, you know, um, for, for, for better, you know, hours or better pay or whatever in an attempt to try to buy things um, that, again, are not bad in and of themselves, but they can become a life's pursuit. Being satisfied can be a life's pursuit. And so we have to be careful that we're not ascribing satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction, tethering it to how much money we make. Our ultimate satisfaction has to come from the Lord, has to be a satisfying of the soul that only God can satisfy us with. Because we, as we often say, the only thing that can soothe an eternal soul is something eternal. And money is definitely not eternal. And so we got to be careful that we're not using money in an attempt to try to soothe the longings of the soul. 
And in doing so, we can rely on God who says, I am your ultimate satisfaction. If you, you know, eat of me, you never go hungry again. If you drink of me, you will never go thirsty again. And that we can always run to that well, always run to that bread. Again, we got to be careful that we're not utilizing money in an attempt to try to satisfy the longings of the soul. Again, there's nothing wrong with having possessions. Nothing wrong with having things. But we got to be careful that we are not putting something in the place of God. God is the only thing that can satisfy the longings of the soul. God is the only thing that has that, type, that, has that capability. Remember, as it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God has placed eternity in our hearts. And he placed it there for a reason. So that nothing else in the world can satisfy it except him. And so we got to be careful that we're not taking anything that of the created order and attempting to satisfy an eternal soul with something of the material world. Okay? Yeah, so again, just be mindful and careful of that. As we are, as we are, you know, thinking through how we're utilizing our money and what our and what our money, what our money symbolizes for us, which leads us to our third, um, our third, our third, of uh, the third thing about money. Last, this man from Jesus' story looks to money as his source of significance. His focus is on himself. And how much he has accumulated. He clearly has found his identity in his stuff. We often do the same thing. We judge our worth by our net worth. When we ask how much is a person worth, it seems clear that we're not just asking about their financial status. The God of money wants us to believe that our significance comes from what we make of ourselves. But we find our true identity in Christ. He has marked us as his own, and that is what makes us valuable. That's where our value is found. He forever determined our value when he died on the cross for us. But when we worship the God of money, a person's worth is determined not by the symbol of the cross, but by the symbol of a dollar sign. The man in Luke 12 had put his trust in his money and possessions. His plan was to retire early and eat, drink and be merry. But that's not what happened. Luke 12 20 records the end of the story. But God said to him, you fool, this very light, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The man died that very night and his accumulation brought, bought him rather Nothing but a nicer funeral. Is it possible that you ascribed to money some of, the, some of these divine attributes? Are you looking to money to do what God wants to do for you? Our currency in the United States has a slogan stamped right on its face that says, that reads, In God we trust. That's more than a little ironic, given the fact that so many of us have put our trust in money as a God. It might be more helpful to put a question mark at the end of that statement written on our currency. So it would read like this. In God we trust. How we handle our money has a way of answering that question. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 6.21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we put our money reveals 
what we've put our trust in. And so again, we the believers in God have to be so careful that we are not ascribing our significance to how much money we have in the bank. We have to be so careful that we are not acting as if the money that we have is, is a symbol of how significant we are in the world. Christ tells us that the significance that we have is a significance that has been bought by his blood on the cross. I'm going to, um, where is it? Hold on. Give me one second to find it. I was listening to a podcast yesterday. I was listening to a podcast yesterday. And the pod and the podcaster said something very, very fascinating to me. I never looked at the parable of the of the pearl in the way that the lady described it. She said, uh, well, not the, well, yeah. She said, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. I often looked at that parable from the perspective of us giving all that we have in order to get um in order to get the relate in order to have a relationship with the Lord. That's how I used to look at that. But what God is what but and that, that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it though is to look at how valuable we are to God. And to look at the sacrifice that God made in order to get us. That just like the man who sold all that he had to possess the, um, the pearl or to possess the treasure in the field. Christ gave his life so that we could be his possession. So that we could be the children of God. Our value is not in how much money we have. Our significance is not in the amount, the, the, the amount of that's in the bank account. It's not in the houses that we own. It's not in the treasures that we possess. But our value comes from an eternal God, an eternal Christ, an eternal Holy Spirit who loves us so much that he was willing to get on a cross and die for us. That statement, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that is a statement of significance. We are so significant to God. He cares about us so much. He loves us so much. He thinks about us so much. He created us and designed us in such a way to where he got on a cross and died that we might live, that we might have significance, that we may have importance. We are valuable in his eyes. He said in the word, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. That statement isn't just some statement for women to make themselves feel like they're beautiful. That is a statement of significance and importance for every person that God has created. 
we were fear, fear, fearfully and wonderfully made by the hands of God. And as a result, our significance comes from him. And if we steep ourselves in that, then no matter how much money we have in the bank, we know that we are significant because God declares us significant. And so as, and so as we think about how we spend our money, think about how we think about money, think about how we try to accumulate money, ask yourself the question, is it so important for you to have money in your life to where you are willing to forsake any and everything else in order to obtain it? I'm not saying that we don't work jobs. I'm not saying we don't pay bills. I'm not saying we don't go on vacations. I'm not saying not to buy trinkets and toys. But what I am saying is that whenever we allow that to be a source of satisfaction, a source of um, significance, and as the um, person says, I'm forgetting the third S. Um, one second. A source of security. When we're looking for our money to be a source of security, to be a source of significance, and a source of satisfaction, we are saying to God, thank you, but I got this. God says, I am your security. I am your significance. I am your satisfaction. And so we got to be careful that we're not aligning ourselves, our allegiances, our affections, and our attention to money to the accumulation of wealth. Because if we're doing that, then what we're saying to God is that though we're grateful that he saved us, we don't need him like we say we do. And so here again, for the believers, we're doing a heart check, checking the pulse. And as we're checking the pulse, let's ask these questions here. How often do you compare what you have and how much you make to others? The world teaches us to measure one another by payroll. The more we make, the more important we are. Therefore, it's easy to find ourselves slipping into the lie that we are what we earn. And whether we truly, practically need more money or not, we chase after it for the affirmation it gives us. Are you content with your salary? There are plenty of healthy reasons to be motivated toward greater earnings, of course, but what are your reasons? Do you find yourself speculating on the salaries of your coworkers or competitors? Do you develop resentment when you feel you're worth more than you're paid? If so, these are indications, a heart check, that money is becoming a god in your life. <clears throat> Again, if you're not content with the money that you're making, that there's there's healthy discontentment. But you got to check why are you being why are you discontented? Are you thinking that you 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 des you deserve more as a status climb? Are you worried about how others are going to think about you because you've got only this many zeros behind the, behind the yearly salary compared to others? What is it about the money that you're currently earning that makes you feel like you need more? It's a heart check. Simple heart check. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. How much anxiety, 
Number two, do finances add to your life? How much anxiety do finances add to your life? We've been through difficult economic times in recent years. Most of us have had financial worries, whether from the loss of retirement pensions, unemployment, or finding that there's too much month at the end of the money. If you were to rank the things that cause you the greatest stress, where would you list money on that scale? How does it compare to such things as health, relationships, and job performance? Maybe right now your financial situation is causing a lot of stress. Are you continually bringing that burden before the Lord? The Apostle Paul talked about giving thanks in all circumstances. He said he learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether he was well-fed or hungry. Can you give thanks and be content even in the midst of financial challenges you're experiencing? Sometimes we as the believers in God can worship God well during the good times, but when things are struggling, we have a hard time believing in God, a hard time giving thanks to God, a hard time being grateful for what we have. So take a heart check. If you're going through some hard times, going through some tough situations, or going through a, a tough circumstance, it's a heart check. Are you truly dependent upon God? Or are you so worried about your situation that you gotta have your, I gotta get this together, I gotta get this money, I gotta get this money, I gotta get this, I gotta get that, I gotta have that. I got, it's a heart check. It's a heart check. Because again, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So check your pulse. Is God truly the center of your security? Or is your security in the amount of money that you're making? So check your pulse. Number three, to what extent are your dreams and goals driven by money? We talked about personal dreams in this book already because they tell us a great deal about who we are and what makes us tick. What is your greatest dream? The thing that comes to your mind the quickest when someone asks if you had one wish. Do your dreams involve wealth and luxury, winning the lottery? If so, why? Be honest with yourself as you reflect if reflect upon why you on read that weird, reflect upon why you would want great sums of money. Would it be the freedom you would enjoy to pursue new goals with your time? Would it be the opportunities to give and build new things? Or could it simply be the feeling of importance you would gain from being wealthy? So again, heart check. What do you want money for? What do you want money for? Simple heart check. Again, as I've said to y'all before, we're believers in God. This isn't an indication that you're that you're falling that you're gonna fall out the kingdom. It's simply a heart check to see what God is coming after your heart. So check your pulse. What do you want money for? What are your what what dreams and goals and endeavors do you have? And how are the things that you're wanting in that dream going to going to what what do you think it's gonna bring about for you? Because that dream, that goal might become a God that you're chasing rather than allowing God to weave himself into the fabric of your life 
And whether that dream comes true or not, you have contentment in him and not in the um and not in the completion of the dream. So again, check your pulse. Lastly, what is your attitude toward giving? Think about occasions when you're called upon your um you're called upon to offer a financial donation. This could be given to the church, this could be a telephone solicitation, contact from a charity support. What emotions do you feel when you're asked to give? Are you annoyed? Do you find yourself wondering about the least amount you could acceptably give? Do you find enjoyment and inspiration in using your finances to help others? I was talking to a friend of mine who was quite wealthy, but the only real indication of his wealth was his extreme generosity. He was recently talking to me about how easy it is for money um, for, for money to become an idol in his life. I asked him how he kept the God of money off the throne of his heart. Here's what he said. Giving money away breaks its power. It's like you're saying to money, I don't even care about you. You are so unimportant to me that I can just give you away. He explains that when you give like that, it destroys your idol of money because it can't stand not being important. If you want to find out how important money is to you, start giving it away. So, again, it's a heart check. When you see somebody on the street corner who is asking for a couple of dollars, you see somebody standing outside of Walmart who's asking for things, how frustrated do you get when you see them? Oh, here they go again. You know, are you trying to swerve your car around, not make eye contact with the person so that they know, I don't, I, I'm not giving you anything? How often have we had plenty of groceries in our car and we pass by somebody who's asking for something to eat and we're so quick to swerve as far away from them as possible when all we, we got something in the car right now that we could give that person if they're saying they're hungry, here, here's something to eat. How often do we, you know, hear about situations and circumstances going on in our own neighborhoods or in our own, you know, yards or whatever, and we're so quick to say no. No, I'm not giving to that cause. Kids knocking on the door wanting to, um, you know, trying to buy, you know, basketball equipment or whatever, but we're like, no, 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 pass, pass. Again, it's a heart check. Simple heart check. It's a heart check. How easy it is for us to give our money away is an indication of what our is an indication of what truly is in our hearts. Now, I'm not saying that if you're struggling in your finances that you should be giving and giving and giving, because just as Jesus said, there's a woman who had two mites, two, two little copper coins, one worth much of anything. We don't know the situation that she was in. She might have been a working girl. She might have been, you know, um, you know, I know, I think she was a poor, she was a widow. We don't know if she was a working widow or what. But at that time, in that space, in that situation, all she had was two mites. That's all she had to give. And that's what she gave. And God says, blessed is she because of the heart's posture 
that she had, that she was willing to give up what she had, all that she had, compared to those who had plenty, but only gave just enough. It's a heart posture. God doesn't, he's not concerned about the amount that you give. He's concerned about the heart that's giving it. Where is your heart? So check your pulse. Because at the end of the day, God's not concerned about how much you give. He's concerned about what you give, or rather the, the heart's posture by which you give it. Again, money has the potential to become a God. Has the potential to be our source of significance, our source of security, and our source of satisfaction. We have to be so careful, so careful, so mindful that we are not allowing money to become a God. That we are not worshiping at the altar of money. That if we are the believers in God, we have to be, we have to be so willing to, we have to be willing to let God be the sole source of our significance, our satisfaction, and our security. Christ died that we may be known to be significant in his eyes. That's the best significance we could ever have. Christ died so that we can anchor ourselves in him and he can be our ultimate source of security. Christ died so that he can be the sole source of our satisfaction. Nothing in this world can satisfy us like Jesus can. Nothing in this world can satisfy us like Jesus can. So we, the people of God, have to be ever so careful that we're not putting, our, putting money in a position, that we're not putting money in a space that has the potential to usurp the throne of God. Again, for the for the vast, for all of us, there is some God, something out there that has the potential to usurp the throne. So do a heart check. What have we been going? We've gone through the temple of um, the temple of 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 of, of, of um, the temple of pleasure, and the temple of pleasure showed us that there's food, sex, and entertainment that has the potential to usurp the throne. In the temple of power, we've got success and money thus far. And we're going to keep going over the course of these next few days through these things. We got to be careful. We got to be careful that these gods that are lurking around do not usurp or supplant the throne. And take over and cause us to act in the way that we do. In the way that we have the potential to do. We got to anchor ourselves in Jesus so much so that we are given our we're we're recognizing that he is the sole source of our significance, our joy, our joy, our peace, our security and, and again, ultimately our satisfaction. We chose Jesus and discovered that he is our provider. He provides everything we need. He provides us with security because he never leaves us nor forsakes us. He provides us with significance because our identity and our value are found in his love. He provides us with satisfaction because our souls were made for him. We discovered that God would meet all our needs 
according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And with that, I want to turn to Philippians chapter 4 as we close out um, this segment of our show today. Philippians chapter 4. Starting at verse number 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to, how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We as the people of God have been given such a great gift of God himself. So in our prayers, as we are asking for the things that we want and need in this life, let us not neglect the things we need in the spirit. For God said, ask and it shall be given. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. What good, what, what good father would withhold good gifts from his children? If we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our heavenly father give us his spirit? If we ask it of him. And so as God is anchored, as we, as we are anchored in God, let us not just seek him for the material things in this world. Let us be sure to ask him for a stronger spirit, a stronger soul that can withstand whatever the situation may bring us. Whether we are rich or poor, whether we're successful or failing, whether we are on the mountain or in the valley, May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. For it's through Christ Jesus that we have contentment. The secret to contentment is knowing and loving Jesus. And so if we continue to know him, continue to love him, continue to delight in him, he will be our ultimate source of security, our ultimate source of joy, our ultimate source of peace, regardless of the situation. And in doing so, your money will have no rule and no reign over your soul. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly thankful for the 1,300 likes that we received thus far. Thank you for every like, every comment, every follow, and every share. If you've missed any part of this 
message or would like to go back and listen to past episodes, you can go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts right now and, um, and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast. And every episode from inception to now, you can find there on, um, on, on, um, on those platforms. Uh, we thank you so much. When, when we come back, we're going to enter into our segment, um, What Would Jesus Say?, to talk about the 2023 elections. We'll be right back in just a moment. the true gospel morning show with your boy eddie d right here on tiktok live we're with you monday through friday 6 a.m to 8 a.m eastern standard time certainly again grateful for the 1300 likes that we received those thus far go ahead and keep those lights coming if you so desire to do so and thank you so much for all that you guys are doing um to support the show um on on tuesday night it was election night here in america um, and according to most of the pundits that are out there right now, the Democratic Party clean house um, in a lot of ser- a lot of different um, contexts. Um, and so I'm going to read this opinion um, by Kate Bedingfield um, from on, from CNN. She publishes about um, 3:45 on Wednesday. She said there was a lot of noise and outright cacophony, in fact, in the days and weeks leading up to Election Day 2023, declaring that the Democrats were going to have a bad night. But Tuesday night's clean sweep of the major races in in major races in Ohio, Virginia and Kentucky tells us that Democrats are dialed in on the signal they're getting from voters. It paints a good road map for the electoral success as we look ahead to a very noisy 2024 campaign. 
Successful campaigns are the ones that prioritize the information they get from actual voters and ignore the rest. Sounds easy, right? It's not. One of the hardest things to do in political campaigning is to separate the signal from the noise. Every campaign sifts through an overwhelming onslaught of information daily, database information, anecdotal information, blah, 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 blah. Distraction is abundant in the easy sugar high of winning a 24-hour news cycle or an X-War, because it used to be Twitter. It's always tempting. There were three big lessons from Tuesday's election results. First of all, and probably most importantly, voters resoundingly embrace protecting abortion rights and reject Republican attempts to roll them back. And critically, they're motivated to show up and vote on the issue. In Ohio, a state Donald Trump won by eight points in 2020, voters overwhelmingly supported issue one, a ballot measure enshrining abortion rights in the state's constitution. In Virginia, Governor Youngkin Youngkin tried to take the Republicans' abortion problem head-on, claiming that he had articulated a reasonable position on the issue that would net Republicans control of both House and state legislature. In fact, Virginians didn't view rolling back existing protections in the state and instituting a new ban as reasonable, and Democrats wound up taking the House of Delegates and growing their margin in the state Senate. And in Kentucky, an ad for Governor Andy Bashir featured the wrenching first-person abortion of um, a great survivor. Y'all know what that means. The ad was such a significant factor in the race that Bashir thanked the woman in his victory speech. In addition to telling us that voters resoundingly reject Republican efforts to take this choice away from women across the country, it also tells us while voters' pessimism about the economy is absolutely salient and will be a factor in President Joe Biden's re-election campaign, it isn't the only issue motivating voters. Um, let's see. A second takeaway from election night is that the Biden agenda of bipartisan wins is popular. As I listened to Governor Bashir's victory speech last night, I noticed it sounded a lot like the speeches I've heard Biden give in countless communities across the country. Bashir talked about the need to put our differences aside and find common ground where we can and where we can and where we, oh okay right around. Talked about the need to put our differences aside and find common ground where we can and to reject anger politics. He touted the success of bipartisan infrastructure law in providing money to repair the Brent Spence Bridge that connects Kentucky and Ohio. He touted the expansion of broadband in rural Kentucky, also a result of Biden's infrastructure law. Of course, he talked about protecting abortion rights. These signature components of the Biden agenda are widely popular with voters and running on them forces Republicans into defending their opposition to things that most people like and want. Running on the Biden agenda proved a successful strategy for Democrats in all corners of the country in 2022, and we saw it on display again last night. Finally, the American voters showed yet again just how unpopular Trump and his MAGA extremism is with the general election voters. A poll released on Sunday and a po- another one released on Election Day suggested that Biden has some work to do to shore up the coalition of suburban voters, people of color, and young voters who resoundingly put him over the top in 2020. These polls also sh- show, however, that Trump, who is likely Biden's main election opponent in 2024, is enormously popul- un- unpopular with general election voters. The former president has both high personal unfavorable numbers and an unpopular agenda. 
there was a lot of anticipatory chatter in the weeks before the election day about supposed about the supposed drag Biden would have on Democrats. When the question was actually put to voters last night, it was answered at the ballot box. It was Trump, not Biden, who dragged his candidates down. And so, um, what this tells us, well, at least what it tells me, what it tells me, is that regardless of where you land in the political landscape, by and large, people are making up their own minds about the issues that matter the most to them. People have often asked me, are you Democrat or Republican? I tell people that I am an independent thinker. That doesn't make me an independent by party. It just makes me an independent person. And that I vote based upon the person whose agenda most aligns with what my needs are at the time that I'm, vote that I'm voting. Um, for example, the infrastructure law that Biden that Biden had proposed to get um, you know uh, broadband internet to rural state to rural to rural areas in the nation, that's downtown beat because I live in a rural area where the only internet access we can have are satellite internet and satellite internet is so flipping expensive that it makes it makes absolutely no sense how ridiculously high. Those, bill, those bills are just to get decent internet. And so the infrastructure law that Biden has in place is getting broadband, like the regular internet that everybody uses, you know, to, to have 1,000 gigs of internet for like $5. He's getting that to rural areas. That's going to make a huge difference in my monthly expenses. And so, yes, and amen, bring it to me. Like, I'm all in it. And so, if that is an issue that matters to me, and he's the one who's saying, I'm going to, that's one of the issues that I'm trying to resolve, then heck yeah, I'm going to vote for him. Because he's saying he's going to make this thing happen. And sure enough, I hope that these lines that I'm seeing, these flags that I'm seeing in these people's yards are an indication of some broadband coming our way. Because if it is, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge expense that I get to cut off and get to save some money somewhere because I'm not spending a thousand flipping dollars just so I can have the True Gospel Morning Show with y'all Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so for me, it's, it's, it's not about sides. People get so caught up in, oh, you're voting Democrat. That means that you're for abortion. I never said that I was for abortion. I just said that... The vast majority of the things that the Republican Party wants to do, they negatively impact me. They negatively impact my family. They negatively impact the place that, the, 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 the place that I live in. They negatively impact my wallet. And so, no, I'm not going to vote for them because they're going to negatively impact me. Now, if they come up with a different agenda, come up with a different set of things that they want to deal with uh, and those things that they're dealing with speak to me then you might get my vote but I'm not voting for a celebrity I'm not voting for somebody just because he's making the most noise I'm not voting for somebody because he appeals to my emotions I don't I don't I, can, I don't need somebody in the in the um in the over office who makes me feel good I need somebody who's going to do some good for me and so 
as long as the Democrats are mar- are beating the drum of you know let's get you know let's get the the, the bill let's get bills down let's try to you know um you know build infrastructure let's try if they, as long as they speak in the language, I'm all for them. But there are times where the Democrats have tried to do some things. That I'm like, mm, no, I don't know if that's I don't know if I'm down with that. I don't know if I'm down with that. And the Republicans, they make their argument like, you know what? You know what? I think um, I think they may be on to something. I think they may be on to something. And uh, as, as, for an example, I was listening to um, to Governor uh, Chris Christie, who made a very good argument for the for Roe be, for, for Roe versus Wade being overturned. Now, I'm not. I wasn't for it, but he made a convincing argument that made me like, hmm. You know what? The man might be on to something here. Let me sit down and ponder on this for a minute because he said what he what he feels needed needs to happen, which is what's happening now, is that the states are now deciding each state. How do we as a people feel about abortion? Let the states decide. Let let the people vote. How do you feel about abortion? Yes or no? What lim- What are the limits? What you know? What are what are the what are the different? What are the stipulations? You know, wh- how far along that sort of thing. If after all fifty states have decided what their thoughts are on abortion, if there is a consensus, again a majority consensus and not as a, as a, as a majority consensus it be right down the middle if need be, but if there is a consensus that makes sense then if we can draft a law that will get 60 votes in the Senate and get the votes, however many votes you need in the, um, in the, um, in the house, then I'll sign that into law because it's a consensus that the entire country has come with. And so again, he made a convincing argument. Now that doesn't change my position on how I feel about abortion but it gave me something to ponder on. And just because he's a Republican doesn't mean I don't need to listen to the man because he's actually making sense. The problem with a lot of us is that because a person has aligned themselves either Republican or Democrat, red or blue, elephant or donkey, we automatically dismiss the person because they don't align with the side that we're on. I told y'all this before. I'll say it again. As believers in God, we shouldn't be on anybody's side but the Lord's. I'm on the Lord's side. I'm not on the Republican side. I'm not on the Democratic side. I'm on the Lord's side. And if I'm on the Lord's side, then whatever, you know, situate, whatever the issue is, I'm looking to see what's the best way to solve the issue. What would Jesus do? That's what we that's what we're looking for. And so if Jesus says that the Democrat has the best answer for this issue, I'm going to lean Democrat that day. If it says the Republicans have the best solution for this issue, I'm leaning Republican. We we again, we've gotten so caught up in anger, anger politics that it doesn't matter what the issue is. I'm just going to stand on my post and I'm just going to ah, ah, all day 
because that's all that's that's what's gonna get the views that's what's gonna get the videos that's what's gonna get the likes that's what's gonna get popular that's what's gonna get me on the tv that's what's gonna get me the notoriety instead of actually doing our job doing the job and so again well if, if if the issue is if the issue is what makes the most sense for the people that's the le- way we're leaning but republican democrat no i'm on the lord's side i'm on the lord's side Romans chapter 13, verse number one, starting at verse number one says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists who God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Who Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is, a, he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, and owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Furthermore, in First Peter, in First Peter, chapter, I believe it's in chapter two. Yes, it is. Chapter two. Starting at verse number 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover up for evil. But living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And so, yes, you know, it, it may be that we feel that some of us, especially some, some of the people that I'm seeing in the chat right now that are saying with separation of church and state and religion isn't a part of that. But our God says that because he is the orchestrator of all things. We should always view what we are voting for, how we are serving the people through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our charge as believers. We may not stand up and say, Jesus said, like, no, we're not doing that and whipping out Bible verses, you know, to make us to make our stand. But we should know enough about Jesus to be able to look into the landscape of the world and say, what would Jesus do? Because at the end of the day, if we say we believe in him, then our charge should be that we look through every situation through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ and act accordingly. That's why I said choosing sides is not the way. 
because on some days there will be a, a, a situation or a circumstance where your conscience is aligned against your party. Your conscience is aligned against your party. And if you are so hell-bent on standing for your party, I've said this to y'all before, sometimes in order to stand for your party, you're going to have to step over the cross. To stand up for your Democrats, you're going to have to step over the cross. To stand for your Republicans, you're going to have to step over the cross. Because regardless of what the situation is, Christ must come first. He supersedes all. And so regardless of what you of what people may say about separation of church and state and all that stuff, Jesus never said that. Now we don't have to go and again go in with you know with 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 browbeating people with the Bible, but our Bibles tell us, Jesus tells us, submit yourselves to the governing authorities. Pray for the success of your nation. Pray for the success of your leaders. Support where you can. Draw the line in the sand where you can't. Just because your party is aligned with one issue that you are aligned with does not mean you have to align with everything the party does. You, you can choose. As, the, as, they, as we found out um, just on, win, on Tuesday and Wednesday, as we found out Tuesday and Wednesday, people are choosing for themselves. They're not just allowing someone to say, you're with the party, so join me. Nah, bruh, what you're talking about doesn't make sense for me. So I'm not voting for what you want me to vote for just because I may be registered a Republican or registered Democrat. It, so, again, don't allow your party to supersede Jesus. Don't allow your party to supersede God. You can align with who you choose to align with, but as um as it was said in Captain America Civil War, what happens when you want to do something that your party's staunchly against? What if your party's asking you to do something that you are so opposed to? What are you going to do? You got to decide Whose side are you really on? Are you on the Lord's side or are you on your party's side? Because at the end of the day, when God calls us to account, he's not going to care what party you aligned with. He's not going to care whether or not you felt, well, you know, the state said that we can't bring them into the courtroom and we can't bring them into the law room. So, you know, I kept my, my, I kept my religious beliefs to myself and just aligned with the party because that's the party that I'm affiliated with. God's not going to care. He's not going to care. Compromise where you can, but where you can't, don't. God doesn't care what side you're on in politics. He cares whether you are on his side because you're either for him or against him. And so in any election cycle that you find yourself in or in any political landscape you find yourself in, be, I, I'm encouraging you 
Don't be party-based. Be issue-based. Because if you're issue-based, then more than likely, get enough people who are issue-based, a lot of the issues that we see in the world can be resolved a lot more quickly. Be more, you can do that more, you can be more quick, you can be quicker about it. And so we thank God that he gives us an opportunity to be able to see the issues and then act accordingly for his sake. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly grateful for the 1,400 likes that we've received thus far. Thank you for every like, comment, follow, and share. If you've uh, missed any part of this uh, recording or would like to hear past episodes, you can go to the True Gospel Morning Show, uh, the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts right now. I mean, hit that subscribe and follow button. Uh, we thank you so much. In just a moment, we're going to be um, in our sanctification session, and we're going to talk about what it means to truly forgive someone. And so you don't want to miss our conversation on forgiveness in just a moment. True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, on the sanctification session, we're going to be talking about 
how do you know that you've truly forgiven someone? Um, my girl Leah, um, who y'all remember from our um, from our conversation about a week or so ago, um, came on the live the other day and asked that question, and we were able to answer it like a little bit, but I wanted to dive into it a little bit more. Um, and so Leah, I do thank you for asking the question on um, earlier this week. Um, and so I wanted to turn with uh, turn to Matthew chapter 18, um, starting at verse number 15 and going all the way to verse 35 as a backdrop for how to know that you have for truly you have truly forgiven someone. Um, starting at verse 15, if your brother tells you, if your brother, I'm sorry, if your brother sins against you, go to him and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there um, there I am among them. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. Out of pity for him. The master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I'll pay you. And he refused and went down, went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father would do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So, as we look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a quick little drive-by math because I can't do the math like I want to right now. Um, but in turn, but so let me explain it this way. Forgiveness is a financial term. It means to absorb the debt, to take on the debt. Literally means that. So if I'm forgiving someone in balancing scales, I'm looking at all the debts that a person is owing and to forgive it means that I am now assuming responsibility for that debt. I am now taking on that debt. 
I'm taking the hit and allowing the person to not have to restore me. There is a fundamental difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. There is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Most of us, when we think about forgiveness, we think about it in terms of, um, of I need to forgive them and then I need to forget and then I need to, you know, never, you know, um, never bring it up again. And, you know, I just need to love them and act as if what happened never happened. That's reconciliation. That's reconciliation. There's a big difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. So when we're talking about forgiveness, we're not talking about restoring relationship. We're talking about we're talking about absorbing the hurt, the pain, the suffering that someone has incurred to us without expectation of getting an apology. Without expectation of getting an apology. We hope that when we tell somebody how we feel about what they've done to us, that they're willing to say they're sorry. But a lot of times, the people who we want forget who we want to ask us to beg us really, that's what we really want for forgiveness, ain't gonna happen. Ain't gonna happen. And so we, as the believers in God, we have to rest. We have to rest in the comfort of knowing that forgiveness. Is enough and what forgiveness is is us absorbing the hurt the pain the issue that is taking place and saying to ourselves I'm no longer allowing what happened to me to control me I'm not allowing what happened to me to control me and we look to Jesus as the quintessential example of forgiveness. Because he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be called the righteousness of God. He got on a cross and forgave us our sins by taking on sin himself. He incurred the hurt, incurred the pain, incurred the wrath. Took it on for himself. And as a result, forgave us of our sins. And if God, through the, through the, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, was willing to do that for us, through what he did, we are then able to pour out forgiveness onto the landscape of our relationships. Now, in that space of forgiveness, we hope for reconciliation. But there are some instances where reconciliation just isn't possible. And so the best thing we can do is to forgive someone who has hurt us so that the pain and the anger and the malice 
and the vitriol and the in the in the hurt no longer controls or consumes us. Because sometimes we can act as if that thing happened to us yesterday by just the mere thought of the person that we're thinking about that hurt us. And may and we'll never forget what happened, but what happened no longer has to dictate how we act. Now again, act accordingly. If you know that you can only love a person with a, from a long-handled spoon, you love them with a long-handled spoon. You don't have to restore the relationship back to its original configuration, especially if the person that's, that, that may want a restored relationship isn't changing. I had a client who came to me Monday. Mom and dad treated, treated her like S-H-I-T. Try not to cuss on the show. Treated her like S-H-I-T all her life. 37 years of living. For 37 years, they treated this woman like trash. Treated her like garbage. Treated her like the, the, the gum on the bottom of a shoe that's been scraped through the mud. Like, do, 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 do. They knocked on her door on Sunday and asked her, you know, they told her, we are so sorry for how we treated you. We were foul. We were wrong. We want a relationship with you, but we're recognizing that if it's going to take time, so be it. I'm, we're sorry. We shouldn't have treated you like that. You didn't deserve that. And, 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 I, and we realized we were wrong. Utter shell shock. Utter shell shock. We've been talking for months. Not one time did we ever expect mom and dad to come and apologize for anything. They were so stuck in their position of we were the best parents ever. But God opened their hearts, showed them some stuff, and they came and apologized. At least that's what we're hoping. And the reason we say that is because they apologized and we're hoping that change has come. But now comes the hard part of reconciling the relationship. Because what they're asking for, it's, it's not immediate restoration, but they are asking for restoration nonetheless. And so the challenge becomes, if God forgave us, and restored fellowship with us, full restoration nonetheless. How much more willing should we be to provide a person an opportunity to restore proper relationship with us? If Christ who knew no sin became sin for us to restore the relationship between God and us, how much more willing should we be willing to give them the opportunity to restore the relationship? So we watch. We watch. Go as far as we can 
Because, again, they said set your boundaries, set them up the way you need them to set them up, whatever you want us to do, however you want us to interact with you, you set the standard. We're not gonna, I'm not going to ask for so much. I'm not going to ask for anything. I, I want a relationship with you, but, I, but it's on your terms. So you tell me what you want. And if that's the case, set those terms. Go through, go with those terms and then watch for consistency. Over a course of time, they show consistency. Give them a little bit more. Give them a little bit more. Give them a little bit more. That's the restoration. That's reconciliation. But that forgiveness piece, again, forgiveness, she'd already forgiven them. She'd already forgiven them. And how do we know? Because she was living her life without acting out as she would have had she still had anger warring in her heart. Malice warring in her heart. She forgave them for what they did without giving them the relationship that they were looking for at the time because they were still acting in their old ways. So again, you do not have to restore a relationship with someone if they're not changing. If they're not changing, you don't have to restore that relationship. You can forgive them for yourself. It's not for them, it's for you. Forgive them for yourself so that you're not acting out in your anger and malice and wrath and sadness and, and bitterness toward what they did. Because it happened. No one's, no one's negating that. But if you want to be free and no longer operate through that lens, no longer lay waste to your relationships by virtue of what, you, what you've experienced in your past, you have to forgive them so that you can be free. Using the forgiveness that God has given us as a backdrop and a bastion for how we forgive others. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean that it's going to be fairy, fairy dust and, 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 and Tinkerbell, you know, Tinkerbell and all that. But you can be free. You can be free. And in that freedom, enjoy the peace that surpasses all understanding. And in that peace, be able to enjoy the flourishing of your relationships. Enjoy the relationships that you have with your people without the without the, 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 the sting of the fear and the frustration and the anger that comes with that. And so we thank God that he's given us a blueprint of how to both forgive and how to reconcile. So that we can know the difference between the two. To distinguish between forgiveness and reconciliation. Because again, for a lot of us, we think that forgiveness is restoring the relationship. No, that's reconciliation. Forgiveness is absorbing the debt. So that we can be free. You don't, you no longer have to allow what happened to you to continue to hang over your head. You can let that go. You don't have to restore the relationship to let that go. You don't have to be, you don't have to be, you know, buddies, ace boon coons with your people because you forgave them. No, you can let that go. And then if they want restored relationship, 
it comes with stipulations. I got to see changed behavior. Got to see a changed heart posture. Because you can't keep treating me the way you treated me and expect me to just let you into my life. I will gladly keep you on the outside. And so again, we got to be ever so careful. As the believers in God, check your pulse. As the believers in God, if we say that we have been forgiven by God, we must forgive others their debts. We forgive our debtors as God has forgiven us our debts. And that only comes from relishing in the fact that God has forgiven us. I pose this challenge to us as I'm sitting here thinking about the word forgiveness. Have you forgiven yourself? Talking to the believers. Have you forgiven yourself? Because sometimes we harbor anger toward ourselves. For the things that we have done. We believe in Jesus and we believe that he's the son of God and we believe that he died and rose again. Confessing with our mouths, believing in our hearts. Have are bathing in his forgiveness, but have we forgiven ourselves? Do we still feel like we are such awful people? Because of what we did. That we won't bask in the glow of the forgiveness that God has given us in such a way that we, we can forgive ourselves for what we did. Some of us are still trying to pay our debt to God back. We're so sorry that we took those drugs. And so we're trying so hard to pay the debt back. We're so sorry that we slept around with so many people, so we're trying to pay the debt back. We, 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 we feel so awful and so terrible for all the people who we hurt. And we're trying to pay the debt back. We beat ourselves up. Some of us really do beat ourselves up. We go into this kind of asceticism in our faith. We're tearing ourselves apart. Don't feel like we don't deserve love. We don't deserve this. We don't deserve that. We deserve to be punished. Have you truly forgiven yourself? Because Christ forgave you. Died on a cross and rose again to forgive you of your sins. Past, present, and future. Have you forgiven yourself? Or do you wallow in the frustrations, in the, in, the, in the problems, in the issues that you have to where you can't let go of what you've done? If Christ has forgiven you of your sins, don't play God. Don't play God. Forgive yourself. 
justice has already been dished out through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Bask in that forgiveness. Bask in that love. You don't have to incur any more wrath on you because the wrath has already been incurred upon Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus, stop beating yourself up. Learn from your mistakes, but don't beat yourself up. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Check your pulse. Are you truly believing in God and believing in the forgiveness that he's given you? Or is his, is his forgiveness only a convenience for you? Check your pulse. God loves you. So much so. That though he knew no sin. He became sin for us. That we might be called the righteousness of God. In that righteousness. Forgive yourself. Because you don't have a heaven or a hell to put yourself in. That's God's work. That's God's job. And if you are a believer in him, he's already declared, you're coming with me. You're going to meet me in paradise. So stop beating yourself up. The person that hurt you, the person that did you wrong, the person that hurt, that hurt your feelings, forgive them. I didn't say restore the relationship. That's reconciliation. But forgive them. So forgive them. Let that go. You don't have to hold on to that anymore. You don't have to let that dictate how you live your life. You don't have to let that dictate how you operate in the world. Let that go. You don't have to be best friends with that person to forgive them. You can forgive them so that it no longer controls you and then treat them accordingly if they're not going to change. But you don't have to stay there. You don't have to live in that pain. You don't have to live in that hurt. You don't have to live in that vitriol. You don't have to live in that bitterness. You can let it go. Because you serve a true and living God who said, cast your cares upon me and I will give you rest for your souls. We serve a high priest who sympathizes with all of us. At every point was tempted, yet without sin. So we boldly go to the throne of grace, asking for mercy and grace in the time of need. We boldly go before God and say, God, remove this anger, remove this bitterness, remove this hatred from my heart. So that I don't act out. Act out of character, act out of line. No longer controlled by what this person did to me. What this person said to me how this person treated me, how they acted toward me. God's got that. You don't have to speak to this person ever again. Again, I'm not talking about reconciliation. I'm talking about forgiveness. You don't have to talk to this person ever again if God so decides. You don't have to speak another word to this person. But let what they did to you go so that you can be free. Because the Lord is a spirit 
and those that were in and, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. And if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, Christian, my brother, my sister, my friend, my fellow heir in Christ. Let it go. Be free. You can be free. You are free. Because Christ paid the way. You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly thankful for the 1,400 likes that we've received thus far. Thank you for every like, every follow, every comment, every share. Thank you guys so, so much for your participation in the chat box today. Uh, we're certainly grateful for every person that's in that chat box, as we always say. Feel free to comment. Whatever you like to say, just make sure you keep it classy so that way we don't get banned. Um, if you've missed any part of this message or want to hear any past episodes, you can go to Spotify and Apple Podcasts right now and subscribe to the True Gospel Morning Show, the podcast. And doing so, have access to every episode from our inception up to now. And so um, go and um, subscribe to that right now. And we certainly appreciate you. When we come back, we're going to answer a question from the chat talking about how we um, can end up um, committing new sins after getting away from former sins. I'll explain all of that in just a moment.
watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live. We're with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Certainly thankful for the 1,600 likes that we've received thus far. Thank you guys so much and keep those likes coming so that way the um, algorithm can know that we're giving y'all some real good content that we want to get to as many people as possible on today. Um, the question was asked um, a few weeks back. Um, um, let me, let me make sure I want to make sure I read this right. What if someone commits a sin they didn't commit before they were before being saved? Were they ever truly saved? Um, there's two different ways to look at the question, and so I'm going to answer. But I'm going to answer them both ways. Number one, once you're in the kingdom, you're in the kingdom. We gonna make mistakes while we in this kingdom. Just because you saved does not mean that you are sinless. We gonna mess up. We are gonna crap the bed royally. From now till kingdom come, we are still gonna make mistakes. We're still gonna fall apart. We still gonna fall short because sanctification is the journey of being molded and shaped into the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to the next. That journey's not complete until Jesus comes back to get us. So you might have not done one thing while you were out there wilding out in the world, but when we become Christians, it doesn't mean we're not going to mess up. It doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. We still going to fall short. We still we are still capable. Oh God, we are still very much capable of committing every single sin in the universe. We all have the capacity to commit every single sin in the universe, given the right time, the right situation, the right circumstances, the right people. You can commit any sin in the universe. So let's not let's not pump ourselves up so high and mighty to where we think that, oh, I, that would never be me. Oh, that's, it, it could especially be you. Given the right time, the right situation, the right circumstances, the right person. Watching New Amsterdam yesterday. This episode, um, the cop's partner was, um, was hit by a car. This guy's a good man, good cop. But his partner was hit by a car. And the person who hit him who hit his partner, rather, showed up in the hospital too. And all of a sudden, this man, who's a cop, wasn't thinking about being a cop, if you catch my drift. Right time, right situation, right person, right circumstances. And all of a sudden, he's willing to give his badge up for vengeance. Trying to be like Batman. I am vengeance. I am the knight. The right person, right situation, right time, right circumstances. Any of us are capable of becoming what we say, oh, that would never be me. I would never do that. Okay. If you say so. For many of us, we can think that some sins are just outside of the realm of, of what we're capable of. 
No, we're capable of doing a lot of stuff. Look at the look, look at the life of David. David, a man after God's own heart. This man loved Jesus, loved God, but the right situation, right set of circumstances, right person. He up in here cheating on his wives with somebody with somebody else's wife, coerced, no, not coerced, I'm sorry, um, 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 forced to sleep with him, got her pregnant, killed her husband. And this is David. Right person, right time, right set of circumstances. Moses. Moses got so angry with what he saw going on in the slavery, with the enslavement of his people, that he went and killed one of the um one of the people. Angry. Right time, right situation, right circumstances. All of us are capable. Can have a full-on good relationship with God and still be capable of some heinous stuff. All of us are capable. Every last one of us. So that's part one. Because we're all capable. We're still living in earthen vessels. We're still living in a broken world where broken people do broken things all the time. Now, what if someone commits a sin they didn't commit before and before being saved were they ever truly saved? The question isn't whether or not they're truly saved or not, although that's part of it. The question is, have they truly, have they taken seriously their faith walk to where they are guarding themselves and arming themselves to fight the good fight of faith. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I'll return to my house from whence I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they will enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Sometimes we can get complacent in our relationship with God. We, we got it good. We got it together. We're, we're doing good. Everything's awesome. Everything's great. And then one day, here comes a new temptation or a new sin or a new issue that arises. And all of a sudden, the faith that we thought we had in God begins to diminish in favor of the thing that we're doing instead. For some of us, our tendency is to get complacent in our faith and as a result satan's waiting biding time before he can introduce a new issue introduce a new problem introduce a new circumstance into your life and in doing so you find yourself acting out of character acting out of line with god so the question we have to ask ourselves is, in what areas of my life have I grown 
inconsistent? In what areas of my life have I grown complacent? In what areas of my life am I not shoring myself up? So that when the trial comes, when the temptation comes, when my lust and passions flare up, when unexpected circumstances arise, I'm resting in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. For a lot of us, our faith walk is shallow as crap. I've said it before and I'll say it again. For some of us, our, our relationship with God is shallow AF. We wouldn't be able to stand in a fight. We love the Lord so much during our worship services. But our strength in God is always contingent upon pumping up the praises. The, the, where, where is our true devotion to God? So when the trial comes and the tribulation comes, we don't have any word in us. We've regurgitated a lot of similar scriptures, but we don't know our word. We haven't hidden any word in our heart that we might not sin against God. We don't pray to him regularly enough. We're not fasting to him regularly enough. We're not meditating on him regularly enough. We're not, we're not doing the things that will allow us to grow deeper in God. Again, it's not about praying it's in and of itself. It's not about reading the Bible in and of itself. It's not about church attendance in and of itself. It's about deepening our relationship with God so that we can do both at the same time. Delight in him and put sin to death. It's not an either or. It's a both and. We don't want to spend our lives just putting sin to death because that's, like, that's laborious. But we don't want to spend so much time just delighting in God because that makes us complacent. The, the tension between delighting in God and putting sin to death is an active tension that we have to be in at all times. We've got to be able to hold both of them together. Does that mean that the person isn't saved? No. I don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody in. A tree is known by the fruit that it bears. But I don't have a heaven or hell to put anybody in. So I can't say whether a person is, is saved because they commit a new set of sins. But what I can say is that if they're committing a new set of sins, it means that their faith walk is so shallow that they haven't developed enough depth in God to combat what's going on. Nevertheless, God says, I will get you. I can save you. I can rescue. I can redeem you. So that person's not out of the realm of deliverance. But they got to want it. They got to want it. And for many of us, Christ is, an, is, a, is a convenient add-on to our lives rather than being our entire lives. God is second to no one. God is second to nothing. He doesn't want to be one of many. He wants to be the one and only. He's not sitting at the head of the boardroom he is the boardroom. He's not the United Nations. He is the nation. So again, we say all that to say, if we find ourselves dealing with new issues, new sins that we've never dealt with before, we should ask ourselves, 
how deep is my relationship with God really? God, rescue me from the darkness. Drag, let's drag this into the light. And God, help me to deepen my relationship with you so that at all times I'm wearing the armor of God so that I can stand the wiles of the enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and put in, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand it would stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as for shoes of your feet, having put on the, ra the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Put on your armor. Put it on. Don't take it off. Christ died so you could have it. So, like the knights of old, like the power rangers of our fantasies, put on your armor. Don't take it off. Because the enemy ain't playing. He wants our souls. If you find yourself committing sins that you didn't commit before, heart check. What gods are at war for your soul? And what are you doing, actively doing, to ensure that God stays on the throne? You're watching the True Gospel Morning Show with your boy Eddie D right here on TikTok Live with you Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Something praiseworthy today as we wrap up our show. Scarlett Johansson relied on free school lunch and now she's advocating for food security. This is a story that was published yesterday by Lisa Respers, Lisa, Lisa Respers, France. Um, she says, Garlet Johansson has teamed with Feeding America to address food insecurity, an issue she has personal experience with. Quote, my family relied on public assistance to help us provide, to help provide meals for us. These meals fueled my involvement in theater and the arts as a child, which fostered my love for acting. Food isn't just fuel to live, it is fuel to grow. According to the site, Feeding America is the largest hunger relief organization in the United States. Quote, we are a nationwide network of food banks, food pantries, and community-based organizations in the United States. We work to end hunger by providing food and support to millions of people. 
In a blog post for the organization, Johansson wrote that she and her brother were normal kids who went to public school and enjoyed the hot free school lunches provided. Quote, back then, I didn't even think twice about the food we ate. I was just happy at school, learning, being a kid. Now as an adult, I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for those meals. My family relied on public assistance, and the meals I ate at that school were part of the free school lunch program, which provides free breakfast and lunch to students from, from low-income families. And on that um, page, you can watch the public service announcement that she, um, that she um, is um, part in partnership with them there. Um, and so, um, grateful again, as we always say, um, we don't know all half the time what's going on in the world that's good because we just don't know where to look. But we can all we can always see if we just know how to look for it that even our biggest celebrities that they that they have kind enough hearts to try to do something in the world and that they too have experienced some of the same things that we experience from one day to the next. Um, not all of our celebrities or all of our you know high officials or anything are so disillusioned because of the celebrity that they've acquired. Some of these people are still ju just as down to earth as they've always been and just now have a whole bunch of resources with which they can do a whole lot of good with and they're choosing to do so. If we know where to look, we can find that there are a lot of good people that are doing a lot of good things in the world. And so, yes, sometimes we get frustrated with our celebrities because they do some really out-of-pocket things. But if you know how to look and know where to look, we can find that a lot of a lot of people are still doing a lot of great things in the world if we just know where to look. And so we're thankful for Scarlett Johansson, who is at, who is um, working with Feeding America to provide free school lunches for um for kids um, in in schools, and hoping that it just continues to spread, you know, throughout the masses, so that everybody can have something to eat. Because again, yeah, you ain't got to be eating filet mignon and, and shrimp scampi. But man, I tell you, a, a, a pot of ramen noodles tastes real good sometimes. And so again, we just thank God that, you know, that, that if something's being done to try to, you know, combat the, 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 the food issue that we find in a lot of our schools um, on, um, in, our, in our generation today. And so we're thankful for Scarlett Johansson and thankful for Feeding America for doing such a great work um, that, you know, whether they believe in God or not, is glorifying him because they're feeding someone who is in need of food. I want to thank you guys so, so much for giving me this opportunity to be able to worship with you guys today through the True Gospel Morning Show. Thank you for the 1,600 likes that we've received today. Thank you for every like, comment, follow, and share. I want to thank you guys so much for just giving me this space to be able to give you guys some good gospel truth on today. Hope that it's edifying to your soul and that you were able to get something out of it that can carry you throughout the day and the rest of your week. Um, thank you guys so much. Um, we'll be right back here tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for another episode of the True Gospel Morning Show. As always, if you can't see the good, be the good. I love you guys. Peace out, homies.